The scripture reading for this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 5. Here we're brought once again to the life of Jesus Christ as he shows tender mercy to those who are around, as he shows great compassion to those who are around, as he preaches and he has carried out miracles among them, healing them from all of their illnesses all who were brought to him. He has been doing this, traveling around the region of Galilee, going from place to place. And we find him here once again, preaching in the regions of Galilee in Luke chapter 5, the verses 1 to 11, and you'll be able to find that on page 1184. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, He stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, "'Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch.'" But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Today we'll be focusing on the latter part of this passage, especially on Simon Peter's words, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord, and then the reaction that comes out of that. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, have you ever wondered how you and the gospel fit together? Have you ever wondered if the gospel is for you? I'm just an average person, you might think. Not particularly full of Bible knowledge like the professors at seminary or others. How do I fit into this? How do I fit into this this grand and sweeping narrative of, of God's redemptive history going from Adam to today? How do I fit alongside heroes of the faith like Abraham, David, John the Baptist, the Apostle Paul? Does the Lord really have room for me? Does he spare a thought for me? In our passage today, we find our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preaching to the multitudes on the shore of the the lake of Gennesaret. The lake of Gennesaret 
known in the Old Testament as the Sea of Kinnereth and elsewhere in the New Testament by the better known name, the Sea of Galilee, is the lake where the Jordan River begins. And from there, the river flows south along the whole length of Israel before it reaches its end in the Dead Sea. Just before this, Jesus had been speaking with the crowds in Capernaum, telling them that the gospel message that he was bringing put a sense of urgency on him. The time was short, and many other people needed to hear him. And because of this, he couldn't stay with them. So now he's traveled on from there, and we find him at the shore of this lake, the Sea of Galilee. He's still in the region of Galilee, which is in the north part of modern-day Israel. But he's traveling and preaching from place to place, just as he said he must do, rather than staying in one place. And it's this traveling and preaching that's led him to where he is. The crowds are following him, and they're pressing in on him in their eagerness to be close enough to hear him, and it's making it difficult for him to do his task. So he looks around, and he sees the boats of some fishermen, the fishing boats of Simon Peter and the sons of Zebedee. These were average men, locals. Everyone else is here to listen to Jesus, hanging on to his every word. These men, on the other hand, are here because they're trying to make a living. They are here because they need to be here. You can just imagine them sitting and listening to the message of Christ as they're mending their nets and washing them out after a night on the water. For many of these men, they wouldn't have had the time to go to the house of a local rabbi or to sit in a synagogue through the week or listen to a teacher of the law. Here, on the other hand, is a teacher who comes to them. But even then, the question would be running through their minds as they sat and worked. Who is this teacher, really? And so we come to our theme. Can Christ and I fit together? And we'll see, first of all, an average man, and secondly, a gracious Lord. When you think of these fishermen on the shore, it can be helpful to get a quick snapshot of their day-to-day lives. What were they exactly doing as they were on the shore there, listening to Jesus and carrying out their work? The picture that first springs to mind when you think of fishermen can quite often be a person with a rod and a line. You'll think of early morning hours baiting the hook, the patience that it takes, and the thrill of success when you feel that tug on your line. Well, this is not the kind of fishing that was done in this region of Galilee where Jesus was. Here, fishing was a way of life, a way of survival, not something done mainly for sport. Instead of a hook and a line, these men would use what was called a trammel net. This was a net that was essentially three nets in one with bigger holes in the middle, uh, with bigger holes on either side of the net and then a fine mesh in the middle where the fish would swim through and get caught in. They would take out a fishing boat with a single sail, a fishing boat that's a little smaller than a UPS truck, and this net would be slowly stretched out and then dragged along. They would then splash and make loud noises as they brought their boat around so that the fish would be frightened into this net. They'd dart through the big gaps in the mesh and then get tangled in those finer 
finer parts of the net. Fishing for them was a lifestyle. Fishing was a livelihood, and it was often a hard life. It was a life of physical labor that would often attract the rough and tumble types. They had a bit of a reputation for being loud and having rougher personalities. Think of any typical job with a crew of men who are doing hard labor. Landscaping, pouring concrete, construction. Your own crew might be a little bit cleaner, but you know the reputation that these industries have. Fishermen were no different. James and John, the sons of a fisherman named Zebedee, they're also mentioned in a passage today, they were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder before they were eventually tempered by the time that they spent with Jesus. They were loud men. They were rough men. But being a fisherman in that world also meant that you had to be a hard worker. This wasn't a job for lazy men. And you can see that in our passage today as well. You would get up early in the morning when the fish were most active, or even fish through the night to try to attract fish to your net with torchlights. When you caught a load of fish in the trammel net, you'd have to pull each fish out individually because the three layers of the net meant that the fish would get pretty tangled if they were caught. Having become very tangled, they'd sometimes thrash around so much that they would tear the net. And so, as the sun rose and the day grew hot, and everybody else was coming out to do their jobs, the fishermen were coming to shore to mend their nets, to wash their nets, and to dry them out in the sun. Now Simon, whom Jesus already knew because he had healed his mother-in-law earlier, is one of the fishermen that's there that day. Unfortunately, his crew didn't catch any fish. A whole night's work with nothing to show for that. How frustrating is that? But this was the life he knew. Simon was just an everyday man, like you and me here today, working hard to make ends meet. Fishing was likely all that he knew, and if he was the average fisherman, it was all that he ever wanted to do. This was his life. Simon is an average man. Now it's as Simon is cleaning out his nets, washing him out, and reflecting on the fact that he hasn't caught fish for the day, and he hasn't provided for his family, he hasn't provided for the crew that's working with him and their families. As he's reflecting on that and mending the nets, Jesus comes to their shore. Not having much else to do for the moment, Simon is able to volunteer his boat so that Jesus can go out onto the water with him. The water and the shoreline become a natural amphitheater for Jesus so that when he speaks, his voice carries to the crowd and he's able to preach the good news of the gospel. Who is this man who's preaching to him? Who is this man who chooses not to stay locked up in his ivory tower that so many scholars remained in, so many teachers of the law? Who is this man who leaves the endless debates in the synagogues and who comes out to the shoreline, who comes to him, this common man, a working class man? It is Christ. 
It's Christ who, in the words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippians, left the glories of heaven. He took on the form of a servant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He wasn't coming in order to lift himself up. He wasn't coming in order to be recognized as an authority among all of the teachers of the law, all of the scribes and the Pharisees. Simon, of course, doesn't know this yet, but his Savior has come to him, the average man who is working hard to make a living, to provide for his family. Christ has come from heaven to earth to declare to him the message of salvation. Is this Christ who comes to you bearing the message of salvation? Who am I, the average man or the average woman, that Christ would come to me? And yet he does with the good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel that he shares, having accomplished it. This brings us to our second point. Having finished his sermon, having finished preaching the good news of the gospel, our Lord Jesus Christ then turns to Simon and tells him once again to head out into the deep and to drop his net for a catch. It's at this point that Simon is a little bit taken aback. Every human inclination would have told him not to bother. It was the wrong time of day for it, and a a frustrating night with no fish told him that there wasn't much of anything out there. More than that, Jesus had helped out his mother-in-law, and he had preached. But at the end of the day, Jesus was only a rabbi, wasn't he? Only another teacher? How much fishing experience did he actually have? You men and women who love fishing, think of that. If I, as a a minister, a religious leader, told you after a long day of catching nothing, you've tried one side of the boat, try the other, your response would probably be a bit of a sideways look. You really don't know how fishing works, do you? It would make no sense to you in your professional opinion. How would you feel? Or maybe you're in another industry. Obviously, you're not in the fishing industry. Maybe you're in another industry, and somebody was to come to you as you're doing your work as a professional, and you've been making no headway, and you've been putting all of your work and effort into it, and then they tell you, why don't you try this? and they themselves have no experience in the industry. You'd look at them sideways. You can see the same protest rising up in Simon here. In his usual way, it just bursts out even before he's finished thinking it through with him saying, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. But then he catches himself. This was Jesus who had healed his mother-in-law, wasn't it? This was the same Jesus who drove out demons, wasn't it? And what was it that those demons were saying at that time? 
You are the Holy One of God. You are the Christ. Jesus had power. Could he be the Holy One of God? And so he makes a sudden decision to take Jesus at his word. Halfway through his protest, he changes gears. And he says, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. This isn't the work of man that he would say this. This isn't the work of man that he would suddenly change his mind so much. This is God who is at work. God who's changing the hearts of man. For anyone else, Simon would have said, I'm not going to do that. But for Jesus, Simon says, at your word, I will let down the net. No one else's word would do. But Jesus' word has power and authority. And at his word, Simon will obey. He and his crew, they launch out one more time. They launch out into the deep and they let out the net and they catch so many fish that they need to signal their partners in the other boat to help them carry it in. Simon sees this and he recognizes that this can only be the result of divine power. And just as many who came before him in the history of God's word reacted to divine power, the battle leader Joshua, the parents of Samson, the, the prophet Isaiah, it overwhelmed him that once he recognized it, he fell on his knees. And he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Simon was saying, I don't belong with you. I don't deserve to even belong in your presence. I'm just an average man. You have divine power. I'm sinful and you're the one who God favors. I can never fit with you. This is something that many of us come to realize as well. When we're reflecting on God's word, we might have this question in our minds that says, am I good enough for Jesus Christ? But when we come face to face with his word, that reflection, that thinking, I think I might be okay. I've been a pretty good person all my life. It should turn out all right for me in the end. When we come into the presence of divine power, of divine holiness, of God's glory, it's all that we can do to do nothing more than fall on our knees and say, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Of ourselves, that's all we have to offer. Jesus, the rabbi, and Simon, the fisherman, Jesus, the learned teacher. Simon, the one who wouldn't have been raised in synagogues, learning theology each and every day. Jesus, the one who was anointed by his heavenly Father himself. 
Could there be any greater difference between the two? Except that there was an even greater difference than Simon saw that day. The difference was even greater than he could imagine at that moment. This was the difference not just between a sinful man and a righteous man who wields divine power. This was the difference between a sinful man and a holy God. In the theologian Joel Beakey's Family Worship Bible Guide, we read, This miracle of the great catch so overwhelmed Peter that he felt as though he and Christ could never fit together. The truth of the gospel, however, is exactly the opposite. Though by nature there is no greater contrast than between a holy God and an unholy sinner, for Christ's sake, the holy God and the unholy sinner can indeed be reconciled with God's glory magnified in the process. How often is Simon's reply to Jesus, the reply of a sinner before God, I'm sinful, how can you and I ever fit together? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And yet, what's the reply of Jesus? He knows the truth of what Simon is saying. He knows this better than anyone. Simon is a sinful man in the presence of a holy God, but Jesus replies, do not be afraid. This is the truth of the gospel message. Jesus tells those who recognize him as Lord, do not be afraid. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're just the average man or woman. What matters is, how do you respond to Jesus Christ your Savior? Is He your Lord? You are washed clean, whiter than snow. Just as He supplied the fish, just as He had the power to declare the word and a net full of fish was there, so He supplies the righteousness. The fish could just be there at a command, but the righteousness came at the cost of His own life. He said he will supply it. How much more will he not supply it, washing his people whiter than snow? It doesn't matter where you are or where you're at. It doesn't matter who you are, just working to make a living from day to day, all too aware of your own sinfulness. In Christ, you are called to rest in his righteousness. With peace in your soul, by his words, do not be afraid. And with the promise of rest comes also the promise of a calling, the promise of power. Christ follows, wiping away their fear with the words, from now on, you will catch men. And at this point, he lays claim to Simon as one of his own disciples. He says to him, not you might catch men, but you will catch men. You will be my followers. I gave you these uh, these fish. I will give you everything that you need to serve in my kingdom. And that service will bear fruit. 
And what do we see? Just as they took him at his word with the lowering of the nets into the sea, they take him at his word once more. When they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and they followed him. Their outward response of following him was a reflection of their inward response as well to his words, do not be afraid. It was a mirror image of what was happening in their hearts. Average men following their divine Lord. Average men following in the footsteps of Christ. Average men who had found their security in Jesus Christ alone. Average men who will be used in advancing his kingdom. Does this mean they were never afraid again just because Jesus said, do not be afraid? No. We read how time and time again, they were still afraid. It's okay to be afraid. But respond to your fear with trust. Even when they were afraid, we can see them casting their hope on Jesus Christ. They took their Lord at his word, and his word was good enough for them to put their trust in him. We aren't unafraid because we are so bold in ourselves, and we don't follow him because we find a strength in ourselves, but we do this because we have his gospel promises that he's given us in his word. We have his promise that we do not need to be afraid. We have his promise that he will give us strength. His promise that he will give us his spirit. And his promise that he'll be with us to the very end of the age. You may be sitting here thinking, can Christ and I fit together? The answer is yes. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. He's paid the price. And so he says, do not be afraid. Follow me. Yes, you can fit together. You can fit without fear. He will come to you because he has already come. He came down from heaven, crossing the gap bridging that great gap between man and God because of our sin. And for Christ's sake, the unholy sinner can be reconciled to God. Come to Jesus Christ knowing that we love him because he first loved us. Amen.